unfolds is there a story of really what it means to show Christ-like hospitality. And then it's a challenging story. Because today, I want us to look at each other and at our church and, and really ask some tough questions about uh, the fact that when we say everyone's welcome, do we really mean everyone? And how are they going to be received? What kind of bold hospitality do we offer? Do we, uh, do we really mean that when we say it? Let's start about, let's start about the, the, the painful part of the story. And that's probably Madon calling right now on that phone. <laughs> saying I might get his story wrong. So Madon grew up in India. And he grew up in extreme poverty. And when I say extreme poverty, I don't mean that he just lived on the other side of the tracks. I mean that he lived in what we would describe as a hut. With, with dirt floor, with thatched roof. No running water, no electricity, no conveniences of any kind. And his family life it consisted of trying to keep everybody alive, trying to scrounge up enough food to keep everybody alive. Madan didn't have a pair of shoes until he was 15 years old. His family was all Hindu. Everybody around him was. That wasn't a big deal. But he had the extra burden on not only living in extreme poverty, but also being a part of the lowest caste in the social caste system of India, the Dalits, the untouchables. So what that meant for his family was that they were segregated apart from the rest of society. They were not allowed to worship in the temple together with everybody else. They were not allowed to receive water from the same water sources. They were delegated to, to jobs that were just considered unclean by the higher castes in society. And people who belonged in those higher castes wouldn't have anything to do with them, wouldn't look at them, wouldn't speak to them, and certainly wouldn't touch them because they were untouchables. And if someone were to touch one of them who was a part of the higher caste system, then what it would mean for them was that they had to be purified because they were considered unclean because they had touched so this kind of basic hospitality was something that Madan and his family experienced just as a way of life. It was all that they knew. Madan never knew what it was like to feel accepted. Madan never knew what it was like to feel wanted and welcome. Never knew what it was like to feel like he was enough. Never knew what it was like to be received. And that was his life. When he was about 14, Madan became very ill, and his mother had no access to health care. There was no clinic, no medicine, no doctors. She nursed him the best that she could, but he just kept getting worse instead of getting better. He was already really, really small for his age because of lack of nutrition, and as he became sicker and sicker, he just became just a shell of a person, and she knew he was dying. Madan's mother heard that there was a, a medical clinic several miles away and that she might be able to get him to, to uh, that clinic and get him some help. So she literally picked him up in his arms, even though he was a 14-year-old boy, he was very small, and she literally carried her son to that clinic. It was a clinic that was run by Swedish missionaries, Christian Swedish missionaries. And she walked up to that clinic and she said, please, I'm desperate. I know that we are Dalits. I know that we are untouchable. I know that we have 
And then Missy made a look at her, and she said, this whole uh, double superfluity joke, she said, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. And I took my docs in, and, and the, the missionaries and doctors nursed them back to life over the course of the week. She saw how bright he was, and she told my daughter's mother, she said, you know, I would like to give my daughter a chance to go to school. Would you allow me to give him a chance to go to school? And she was so grateful. She was so grateful. She said, yes, nobody in the family had ever been, but my daughter had that chance. And so he started going, he started going to school, and he was a quick learner. He got his first pair of shoes. He learned, and he grew, and he learned what it meant when someone
When a stranger comes into our midst, how do we receive him? Do we treat him like they just trash our party? Are we just polite and tolerant? Or do we welcome them and receive them as if we were welcoming and receiving Christ himself? All right, let's think back to the four parts of the definition of Christian hospitality that bishops made in their list. Invite, welcome, receive, and care for. And real hospitality can break down. We can fail and stumble at that at any point along those lines. We can fail and stumble at real hospitality in the very first time if we just fail to invite people. Okay? Now, I'm about to stop preaching and go to Maryland. Y'all know what I'm saying? When was the last time you invited someone to come to church with you? Someone that you know isn't connected to a church family. See, I know it's a lot, but I know you have to maybe sit somewhere else, or maybe if you just invited them. And then the second one is to, to welcome them. Invite them, but welcome them once you get there and, and make them feel welcome. To receive them. To receive them means that you're saying, hey, we're, you're, not just, you're not just a visitor, you're one of us now. So you come on and go to my Sunday school class with me. I'm not sure which one that you in, but once we find it, that was a joke, y'all. You know, we're skipping <laughs> classes around. But receive them like they're one of us. And, and then care for them. Because, you know, when we come in, sometimes we're carrying a burden. We need somebody to put their arm around us. We need somebody to, to, to give a little help, be a shoulder to cry on. It's, it's all part of welcoming and showing hospitality. Um, why is that so important anyway? Why am I making such a big deal about hospitality? Hebrews 13.2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus was telling a parable about the, the judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous, and the sheep were on the right and the goats were on the left, and, and he was saying this. This is what he said to, to the righteous. He said, I was a stranger and you took me in. And they said, when did we see you a stranger and take you in? He said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to who? To me. Hospitality is that important. Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So two reasons that we have hospitality is not just a sideline, but it's a priority in our church. And one is because Christ welcomed us. And how did Christ welcome us? He didn't say, okay, get your act together, get all cleaned up, and once you get your life straightened out, then I'll welcome you. That's not how he did it. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, no one is likely to die for a good person, so someone might be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Coming in, smelling like the pig pen we've been living in, and the 
been welcomed. When you get right down to it, y'all, we're all part of the same cast, and that's the cast of sinners. And this bread and this cup that we're about to receive reminds us that Jesus has already touched the untouchable and it's us. We make priority of hospitality because he gave hospitality to us. Then the second reason we make hospitality a priority in our lives is because it glorifies God. It just literally puts a smile on God's face when we show that kind of hospitality. The flip side of the coin is that when we exclude others, when we bunch together in cliques, when we close ourselves out to the outsider and to the stranger, when we do all that, these are practices that does not please God. And as a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say they are anti-Christian practices. I'm not going to stand up here and try to tell you that it's easy. I'm not even going to tell you that Christian hospitality will solve all your problems. As a matter of fact, it will certainly create a new set of problems. Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ did not mean the end of my friend Madan's troubles or even the end of his rejection because, you see, when he became a Christian, his family rejected him. Several of his family would later become Christians, but in the beginning, they all rejected him. And Madan refused to marry the Hindu girl that his father had chosen for him in an arranged marriage, and that was the last time he spoke to his father. His father cut him off. Madan would meet a, a lovely young woman named Vitali when he, they were in Bible school together. They fell in love. It was wonderful. They, were, they both wanted to be missionaries. It all sounds like it was a match made in heaven, except for the problem that Vitali was a member of the Brahmins, the upper class of scholars and teachers. And when Vitali married Madan, her family rejected her. Years and years and prayers and prayers later, and doors started to open and bridges started to be built to their family, but it did take a long, long time. So where we are today, where we are right here in Gadsden, Alabama, in this place in Gadsden First United Methodist Church, I want you to know those four words that the Swedish missionary told Madan's mother, you are welcome. When we come to the table this morning, I want you to know those four words that that Swedish missionary spoke to Madan's mother. 